It is good to be alive in Jesus, let alone to be alive here with you, but alive in Jesus. It is. This morning, I want to welcome you to Foundation Church. This morning, there are no N2Y classes. Sometimes we take a break from those. This is just one of those weeks we're taking a little bit of a break. So the kids can just join with us, and as we praise the Lord together and get into the Word, uh, but as Pastor Jeff says, we're authentic about Jesus Christ, authentic with one another, taking the great commissions of the great communities, and keep praying for our missions team throughout the week. Sit aside some time and really lift up them in prayer as they're out in the uh, city of Philadelphia. This morning, we're going to look in Luke chapter 17 here momentarily. We're going to continue our series on Olympic-sized faith. And as we talk about this faith in Jesus, man, it is, it is wonderful. Um, we talk about, you see the things up here. We had our high-five camp. Uh, theme was Olympic-sized faith. Same with our sermon series. We're going to continue with that a little bit today. And there's a guy that had some Olympic-sized faith. His name was J. Oswald Sanders. J. Oswald Sanders was a great mover and shaker for the kingdom, let me tell you. Um, he is the author of 40 books or more, uh, more than 40 books, one of which I am currently reading called Spiritual Leadership, and it is fantastic. It has been recommended to many people who get into ministry and even to people who are getting into the faith in general. It's a great book. I would encourage you to read it. But he was a wonderful man of faith. He was a lawyer and uh, got saved, and he left his well-paid lawyer practice and went on to just follow God. And that went into where he ended up becoming and being a minister of the gospel. And I'm sure there wasn't a lot of success in the world's eyes, a lot of good money in the world's eyes. But man, what a blessing he was in how God used him. And he eventually became the director of China Inland Mission that Hudson Taylor founded. And then during his time there, it eventually became Overseas Missionary Fellowship, and they do a great job of missions work around the world. Throughout his life, Oswald had come to know God, and um, many times he said he couldn't take the pressure. And God doesn't always remove pressure, but he always gives grace for our faith. And he gave Oswald that faith and strength to live by his grace. And in a biography about his book, we're told that Oswald and his life, and here's a couple of um, synopsis from this book, is essentially his life is a story of divine sovereignty at work in the life of one man, shaping and preparing him for service. It's a story of a man who placed himself at all his concerns under God's control. It is the story of what God can do with any life. At any level, no matter how ordinary it may seem, that is prepared to allow God to take control through all the checkered ways of life. And it's so very true. Sometimes we look at ourselves in this faith and say, I can't do that. That's not me. Or the circumstances I'm going through, I don't know if I can do this. Or like the, he mentioned, the pressures of life. But man, we have to serve a great God. We just sang about it. And he can do such mighty things that sometimes we can't even comprehend the things that he is capable of. Probably many times we can't comprehend. So as you're on this faith journey, God is preparing to use me and he's preparing to use you and to grow your faith. And we're going to talk about growing our faith today. But he's preparing you. We've talked a lot about this faith and this Olympic-sized faith. But I want you to know something this week. Faith does not make things easier. 
it makes them possible. It makes them plausible. Just because you get saved doesn't mean that things are going to be easier. Just because you get saved and you actually grow your faith doesn't make things easier. It just means that we're more plausible and possible to God to do the amazing things in your life. When we have unbelief, we're basically not trusting. And one of the biggest hindrances to a growing faith is unbelief. So instead of having trust in God, it's a lack of confidence in God. Unbelief is basically telling God, you know what, God? I just can't trust you right now. Or I don't really believe that you can handle this right now. I want to have it, because you know a lot of times we, if we don't have control, we, do, we have a tendency not to trust. We trust our own tangible strength and might. But I can tell you from experience, I fail. I'm sure so do you. And man, do I need Jesus in this faith walk. You see, this Olympic type of faith that we've been discussing, it's your responsibility for your growth of your faith, not mine, not the church's, not your spouse's. It's your responsibility. That's why we discuss it. That's why we preach it. That's why we practice it. And that's why we encourage it. The growth of your faith really begins in general with you. God can help you mature, and he produces a lot of the success by your faith and the fruits of your faith, but it's you that decide whether you're going to grow your faith. There are a number of things we're going to discuss about having a growing, maturing faith, and if we really tr truly desire Olympic-sized faith, we need to grow it. And we're going to see here that we're not the only ones that probably desires it. I'm sure if I polled you all, you would probably say, I want my faith to grow. I don't know anybody that's, that's a Christian that says, I don't want to grow my faith. I just want to go backwards or just stay still. Many people, who, who, who would say that? So we're going to talk a little bit today. And we'll get Luke chapter 17, verses 5 to 6. And we see, really, the apostles themselves looking about Jesus to grow their faith. This is what it says in verses 5 to 6. You can follow along, or you can open up your iPad, your iPhone, your Bible, whatever you may be doing to follow along. We're just in, in uh, verses 5 and 6, and this is what the apostle said. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. Pretty easy statement. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, I'm going to read these couple of verses. I may come back for some context purposes here shortly. But they told Jesus that they wanted to increase their faith. Increase our faith. That statement to the Jesus, increase it. Who doesn't want their faith increased? But before we proceed and talk about a couple of different things, I'd like for us to check out the context of the passage of Scripture and before and after, because it will give us a little bit of idea of this faith that they want to grow. Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees prior to this passage about this separatist mindset. The Pharisees, they were a separatist mindset they had. Their love of themselves, especially money, how their mindset made them oblivious to their sin. They're more focused on the people and not their God and what they can get from them and not God. 
And at the beginning of chapter 17, Jesus turns his attention to the disciples, right after he talks to the Pharisees. And he talks to them about the seriousness of sin in their life, about the seriousness of leading others astray into sin and influencing others down a path of sin, and the seriousness of how our actions are, and how that we can help those others who do sin. And in part of that context, getting people on the godly path, including forgiving. He talks about forgiveness. If someone sinned against you, how to forgive them. And then it leads into our passage of the disciples asking then, hey, I need that type of faith to be able to help others grow. I need that type of faith to know the seriousness of my sin. I need that type of faith to be able to forgive. I know, well, I can't do that. So they tell Jesus, increase my faith. So here's the first point I want us to really get into today about how to increase our faith. One of the first things Jesus goes to is, he starts talking about if you had faith. So I'm going to talk to you this first point, this very obvious point. It's living faith. You need to have a faith that's alive. It must be an actual faith that's alive. You need to have a living faith in Jesus Christ. You see, what is living faith? Something that has vitality, something that's producing something. Living faith is really evidenced by something. It's evidenced by something, or it's dead. If, some, if you see something laying on the road and it's not moving, what is it? It's dead. Your faith must be producing, it must be moving, it must have actions. It must be living. First and foremost, you need to have a living faith. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon once stated. Faith is of the utmost importance to a Christian. There is nothing of which we should have a greater and more earnest concern than our faith. It unites us to the Lamb of God and brings salvation to our souls. We are not saved by love. We're not saved by courage. We're not saved by patience. We're saved by faith. We need to place a high importance on our faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says that a person of faith tries to discern what is pleasing to God, pleasing to the Lord. And then we know in John chapter 15, it tells us what's pleasing to the Lord. Producing fruit. A faith, if we want to please the Lord, who has saved us. We talked about, oh Lord, we just sang the song, what a wonderful name it is. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the name of Jesus is powerful? Do you want to please Jesus? Then what it tells us here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that you need to discern then what it, you should have a discerning thought process in your life of how you want to please him. And then you want to know how, go back to John 15, it talks about that you are to bear fruit. People that, what pleases God? People who are bearing fruit in their life, Christian fruit in their life. That's how you're pleasing the Lord. And some people of faith, if you have a living faith, you're going to want to please the Lord which means you're going to want to bear fruit. Something evidenced of this life. And then we go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, and it tells us without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hey, all this pleasing God and our faith intertwining together to this living faith. If you desire to be saved, your desire is to please God who created you then. You must first be saved. And if you're not saved, then I encourage you to come to know this Jesus we've been talking about this morning. You need to have a living faith. And once you have a living faith, then what's next? It's a working faith. In Luke chapter 17, 
We saw that Jesus states that if only a person had the faith of a mustard seed, God would do some amazing things through this faith. But Jesus didn't stop there. He goes on to verses 7 and 10 and talks about this steward who's working for their overseer. How would he talk about moving this, having the faith of the mustard seed? And then what does this have to do with being a worker for this overseer? Jesus' point is this, is that we read through the verses 7 and 10. You can do that later or you can do it now. It says this, we have a duty to our heavenly father to work for him. Not to gain our salvation, but because we have been saved, we're going to work for him. You should have a desire in your life to work and be pleasing to the Lord and not wonder instead, when you do work, where's my reward at? Obeying Jesus is not about a reward here on the earth. It's about our rewards in heaven, our eternal rewards. And a living and growing faith is one that Spurgeon, as he stated, a Christian should give to the priority of their faith that's working for the kingdom's sake. We need to have a working faith. And as he, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 tells us that we're created by God for good works. We're not saved by works. We're created to do them. After you've been saved, this working faith, you should want to do works for the Lord. And then we read in James chapter 2, verses 14 to 22. Look at what James 14 and 22 says. It says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But some will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. You say, well, what does all that have to say? What's James saying? Saying that works isn't saving us. James is writing to a very Jewish Christian community in audience. And these Jews were very works-driven people. And now that they have this hope in Jesus Christ and they have been saved, they've kind of then has started to not place much emphasis on the works for the kingdom's sake. They became a little bit complacent. And Paul is telling them that you need to be working for the Lord. You're, no longer, you're not working for salvation. You're working because you have been saved for the kingdom's sake. And James here in his book, and in Paul and Ephesians, they're basically saying the same thing, just differently. We're saved by grace through faith, but we're saved to do works for God who saved us. And in summary, this is what James is saying. Your work, as we just talked about previously, it must be producing something. Your work will be evidenced by your or I'm sorry, your faith will be evidenced by your works, by the fruit of your faith in Jesus Christ. So if you're saved, you should be doing work for the Lord and not just sitting in the seats doing nothing. There are many, many 
seats across the country that have many people come in on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning or dealing grace groups and have many people fill the seats, but very little people do the work. So why must faith work? Here's the first thing I want to tell you why faith must work is because Jesus commanded it. Plain and simple, the guy that's the founder of our faith, he commanded us to do it. Jesus stated, and I've mentioned this many times in, the, in previous sermons, that if you love me, Jesus said, you're going to keep my commandments. Meaning, if you truly love me, you're not really just going to, you're going to obey what I tell you to do. Well, if we read the Gospels and we read Paul's letters, or God, um, we know that Scripture was God-breathed, that we see many commandments being borne out through the Bible and through Scripture. We obey God's Word. And there's numerous commands, such as love God. First and foremost, with all of your heart, more than anything else, our love and priority, first and foremost, should be to God. The second greatest command is upon this is, is to love others. And then we know, see other commandments, such as the Great Commission, and it was a military term that was used, go make disciples. The mean, word go means go evangelize, go share your faith, go do something, get Get your butts out there and tell how wonderful Jesus is. We just sing about it. Go tell people about it. And then disciple people into that knowledge. And help teach them. Help them learn. This is the commands that Jesus told us to go do. We want to have a growing faith. As James tells us and as the Bible is telling us, this is it. You need to have a working faith, not a stale faith. I know you're busy, so am I. Many, many, many times, me and my wife Amy, we sit down and we discuss the priorities of things. Our schedule, I'm not going to lie, I mean, I'm, I'm no different than you, we gets out of hand sometimes. We have to sit down and look at our schedule and prioritize things. But if Jesus and if the church and if things of the Lord are, don't take priority, you know, what it's gonna, you know what's going to happen? It's not going to happen. <laughs> You need to prioritize Jesus into your life and start working for him. Here's a secondly, as James pointed out, because works proves your faith. It does. There's a saying I've heard from many pastors, and here's what it says. Faith alone saved, but faith that saves is not alone. And here's what this quote means. It means that faith alone saves, but after you're saved, faith is not alone as works comes along with it. And I've heard many of those same pastors tell you, um, I can't get people to do anything. And it's funny because I've heard this, I've, I've heard my parents say this uh, many times as well growing up. Say, Brian, there's work that needs to be done around this house. I don't know if you've heard that thing, but I, I've definitely have heard it. And what's funny, now that I have kids, I, I find myself saying the same things I, I heard and I didn't like to hear. It's like, all right, kids, there's work that needs done around this house and it won't get done by itself. I know they can sit there over there. You can ask them. That's a reminder. There's work when you get home that you need to do. But it's the same thing spiritually, guys. It really is. It, it is. There's work that needs to be done here. Mission trips. And there's, I'm just, I'm just going to be honest with you. There are things that we would love to do, but we don't have the people to do them. There's work that can be done here and through your local body that you're serving with. We need you. We do. There's communities that need to be reached for the gospel's sake. We need you. 
There's schools, there's people, there's so many things that we could be doing. We need to get to work. When we say we have the assignment sheets for the Love Norwalk or for the Huron County Fair to do a table, those are just little minute things that we can step into and gradually get our toes wet getting into the water. But there's so many others continuously, weekly works that we need from our people. As believers in Jesus Christ, we have work that needs to be done. And here's the third thing for our final application point today about this growing faith. We talked about a living faith. We talked about a works faith uh, or a working faith. Then we talked about it's a usable faith. I know many people that work in factories, people that uh, work in machine shops, work in garages, and they all use their tools. And then they'll take their tools home and even use their tools personally at home. It's the same as here. Many may use their gifting tools that God gave them to use to work in the church, and that's a blessing. We just talked about it, how we need more. But we just discussed as well that faith should have some, something that comes alongside it. And before I go further this morning, not only are the, goods, the, the tools good for corporate use here, but it's also good for personal use. Do you put your faith to work in your own life? Is it a usable faith to you? Not just showing up on Sunday morning sometimes to help the kids' ministry or in the cafe or greeting or some of the other things that we're doing. Do you have a usable faith in your home and in your life? Go back to Luke chapter 17. Apostles asked Jesus to increase their faith, and Jesus gave them the gave them a conditional if statement. He says, this if in verse 6 is important to note. Many people have a living faith. We may even have a working faith. But is it a usable faith? Are they using their faith personally? This if statement here in in, in, uh, verse 6, Jesus says, if you had the faith like a grain of a mustard seed, if you had. Many may not have the faith that's one one-hundredth of a grain of a mustard seed, let alone a grain of salt, some may not. But the things that believer can do with just a little bit of faith, who knows what the Lord can do with that? You know why? Because our God is so very big. So very strong, you know that little song? So big, so strong, so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. Because when we start to work and grow our faith, even if we just have the one one-hundredth of a mustard seed or a grain of salt, or even fiftieth of a mustard seed, the things that God can do in your life, amazing. Because we serve an amazing God. And some of you are going through some circumstances and trials of life right now, and, and the, the good and the bad and ugly, and God wants to use those things to grow your faith. And we're looking at it, we're like, I don't even want anything to do right now because of where I'm at. That's where your faith becomes so pronounced, because those are the things that God is going to grow your faith, to use your faith. It's through these trials, through these circumstances, that God wants to be able to come inside of you and get to your heart and say, use me in these times for his honor and glory. Listen to this quote from J. Oswald Sanders, who I mentioned a little bit ago. He says, we must get away from the idea that deliverance 
from a trial is the highest blessing. We, we must learn that a few days in a fiery furnace is better than if we, had, we would learn in years out of it. What is he saying? That sometimes going through the fiery furnace, going through the trials and circumstances, there's such a spiritual blessing of coming to know Jesus in a greater way and maturing our faith than in a hundred years out of it. God will use the bad, the ugly, and all the things in between to be able to help grow us closer to him. Seek to grow your trials and seek to grow through your trials and circumstances and grow your faith. Listen, look at Abraham. We just talked, we just sang in Abraham a little bit ago and read about him. It says, don't tell Abraham that usable faith isn't worth it. When God took him up on the mountain and asked him to sacrifice his son Isaac, instead produce for himself a sacrifice. Don't tell Moses, who was talking to a burning bush, to go lead the children of Israel across a place where there's a river and there's no food. Don't tell Moses that, that these trials and tribulations don't produce amounts of um, limitless faith. Don't tell David he couldn't handle his giant. Don't tell Elijah, who went up against all the prophets of Baal, about having small faith, a small God. Don't tell Mary, who was told she was going to bore um, a son without knowing a man intimately, but she had faith in God. Don't, don't tell Peter. Peter's a crazy story. Don't tell Peter. When Jesus told him to cast his nets as he's, been, as he's been fishing all night long, to go cast his nets again. And then he pulls up a ton of fish. Or when Peter had his mom, who was very sick, healed by Jesus. Or don't tell the centurion man that we see in Matthew, the centurion man who sent his servants and had just amazing faith. Lord, if you just tell them to come back, tell them that you're going to heal them. I believe it will be done about faith. Or don't tell them about Lazarus rising from the dead. Or the widow who had her dead son raised to life through Jesus. What faith. The circumstances and trials that you're going through. Or don't tell that nine-year-old boy who had warts all over his feet and his dad's that it was painful to walk, had faith in God to heal his feet, and the very next morning they're gone. I don't know what you're praying for. I don't know what your circumstances are. But I know that God wants to grow your faith through them regardless. You see, Use the circumstances from your past to bring confidence in the present, knowing that God is able. Use your faith right now. Use it. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. You will never know how much of God and his word is in you until you go through the circumstances where you need him. Use your faith in Christ. Grow your confidence in Christ, and which will in turn grow your faith in the Lord. We need Christians, we do, with usable faith. Yes, living faith. Yes, working faith, but usable faith. It's personal faith. Listen to this story. The story of a man of faith is a true story. 
It's a story of a saving faith for a man named Alexander, an infamous drug dealer that turned to pastor. Alexander fell into the drug dealing business in his 20s. He ran a major drug operation during the 1990s. He started smuggling drugs into Central Asia where he lived. The job offered plenty of money, plenty of passions, and loads of adventure. But Alexander, the best of all, he was pretty good at it. His operation expanded. But it only takes one drug bust to bring everything down. And that's exactly what happened to him. In the mid-90s, Alexander's success ended. Authorities caught up with caught up with him, and they found about nine pounds of heroin on him, which sent him straight to prison. To Alexander, it seemed like the end, but really, to God, it was just the beginning. His long sentence behind bars dragged on. His mental state continued to deteriorate until he was suicidal. And this is a quote from him. He says, I felt empty inside and didn't want to live anymore. I did not know how long I would be in jail. And that's when God got a hold of him. Alexander's cellmate, his mother, um, sent to him a, a Bible a, um, and specifically highlighted uh, the book of John to read through. So he offered it to Alexander to read, but he refused it. But one sleep this night, Alexander just decided to give it a try. At first, it made no sense, so he gave up. And some things like his quote, he says, words like, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God. He made no sense to him. So what did it mean? So he put it away and stopped reading it. But more sleep than nights followed, and so he tried again. This time, as he read about eternal life, he felt God moving in his heart. I did not know about prayer, but I called out to Jesus. You know I'm not totally sure about everything, but I want to have eternal life. Forgive me of my sin. I want to be born again. I continued reading in the Bible alone in my cell with no Christians around. It was just me and this book. Alexander became a changed man. It showed when, when some fellow inmates offered him some smuggled drugs, Alexander, the old man, would have jumped at this. But this new man turned the drugs down. Looking at the drugs, he knew that he would, it would drive him insane. This is death, he said. And looking at the gospel, I knew it was life. I made the decision to choose life and sent the drugs back. You see, being saved doesn't end your troubles on this earth. Alexander got some terrible news. He, began, he was diagnosed with a terrible disease, guessing he may have just a year and a half to live. The news would have crushed him, but instead he found joy, had joy unspeakable, because it's this joy that even confounded his cellmates. Confident in his newfound relationship with Jesus, he had no fear of death. He knew he had, he, it led him to heaven, so instead of despair, he found hope. And then while he was here, he's going to work. Alexander's disease didn't worsen as he thought. Instead, while he was still living, he thrived. He knew he remained alive and healthy by God's grace alone and began to thank him. And how he began to thank him, he started a church in his jail. The group gathered together to worship and to pray, and soon he began preaching to his jailmates, which led many to the Lord. Alexander finished out the sentence and decided to make his transformation of a drug dealer, turned to Pastor Heath Fischel. He headed to Seminary Bible College, and while working on his studies, began sharing the good news with drug addicts at many rehab centers. People began being saved. Now he continues to share God's life-saving word as a pastor in an underground church 
in Asia. And it's no easy task. Because Christian persecution is abundant in some of the former Soviet states. And in Takistan, where Alexander lives, it's on the world watch list of the 50 places where it's most dangerous to be a Christian. But for this drug dealer turned pastor, danger is nothing new. Only now he serves and lives under the protection of the king. The story of a man of faith being evidenced by his works and being used for God's honor and glory. What type of faith? Where is your faith with you? Is it living? Is it working? And is it usable? Only you can answer those questions. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, this morning for who you are and what you're doing. I pray, Lord, today that you will work a mighty work in our people. Grow us, use us for your kingdom's sake. Grow our faith in you, Father. Help us, Lord, to work for your kingdom. And as the apostle said, Lord, increase our faith. Help us, Lord, to do that. Help us, Lord, to just want to do that. And people don't know you. As that drug dealer turned pastor prayed, I pray right now that, Lord, that someone will accept you, come to know you, whether they're watching or in here, Father, Lord. Forgiveness of sins. Ask you into their heart and be born again. Lord, move in our missions team tomorrow. May we be a changed people this week, and may we live out our faith in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's our life lesson this week. Begin it, work it, and use it. Plain and simple. Begin it, work it, and use it. Get your faith moving. Out of our seats and into the world. God bless you guys. Have a great week.